Hey guys, welcome back to Resistance Chicks. We're your hosts, Leah and Michelle. Today we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite men in history, and that is William Penn. This man wrote No Cross, No Crown, and years ago Leah stumbled upon this sermon. Yeah. And it's absolutely life-changing. What does that mean, no cross, no crown? Meaning if you don't bear the burdens then there's no reward in the end. You know, the Bible talks yeah. about when you are persecuted for Christ, you are blessed. And that's something, frankly, that the church does not preach today. Now, William Penn is a firecracker. You, he puts all of us Christians and patriots <laughs> to shame. Yes, He's he actually was born in England. His father uh, was in the, uh, the, he was a admiral in the Navy. Uh, his his father actually loaned money to the to the to the crown of England, and that's how we he ended up with uh, Pennsylvania because he's paying off a debt to the Penn family. William Penn was a kind of a troublemaker. He became yeah. a Quaker at 22 years old, and he became a born again, spirit filled, really radical Christian. And he had fiery debates between mainstream Christians and the new uh, the Quakers at the time, George Fox, who believed in this inner light that every person mm. had that you don't need deeds or doctrines or creeds, uh, a little bit borderline for a lot of people uh, and some of their religious beliefs, but they were um, really held religious beliefs. Yeah, and deeply held. Deeply held. And the, the, he was actually imprisoned for some of his beliefs. And his tract, uh, kind of contradicting, you guys are going to get upset maybe a little bit, uh, of the three distinct persons in the Trinity. Right. Yeah, he was actually imprisoned for that. And so, you know, the king was happy to allow the Quakers, just go to America. <laughs> get out of here, okay? You're, you're causing too much trouble. But there's so much more to this story. And when we're talking about our Christian nationalism, it was actually thanks to the Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever on, I believe that we kind of stumbled upon for Christian nationalism. I'm taking the, the, the people that, that the mainstream history is telling me are Christian nationalists. Yeah. And I'm seeing that they're really entwined. So one of my favorite books, and I think you guys should, should all read this one. Um, John Locke, philosopher. You see how well we bought that book brand new, by the way. You and I have both read it. You've read it a couple times. Yeah, two or three times. Uh, John Locke, philosopher of American liberty by um, Mary Elaine Swanson. And the people that are all connected are all my heroes. So William Penn actually um, put in a good word for John Locke to get John Locke out of, out of exile. And William Penn actually put in a good word for George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, to get him out of jail. You know, you guys, we watch. <laughs> and all, then he was put in jail. We watch all of these podcasts and, and we're on them and, and you guys are watching us and you'll see different people on our show and we'll go on other shows and you watch other shows where there's lots of podcasters together and you see these people in this fight that we are in right now and how connected we are and we talk to each other. That's exactly how these men were. And in I'm this looking day. at a time uh, around the 1600s, you've got especially in England, and I wish that my British viewers would understand their Christian history. Wow. I wish my British viewers would understand their liberty history, that John Locke is British. <laughs> William Penn was British, okay? Um, these, these wonderful great minds were from England. They're from Europe. John Hoos, uh, from, uh, I think he was from 
the Bo Bohemia area, which is now Croatia. This is all our all of our history. And why is it all of our history? Because it's Christian history. So I don't know if you've got a couple of these videos. We can start with um, the drive through history video, if you wouldn't mind bringing that one up. I told you, you got to bring the um, okay. bring it up in the history. And I want to give you guys a, a drive through on William Penn, one of my heroes. And then I want to take you into his thoughts and his actions and and um, that one. Got yeah. It. And what kind of drove him? Because if we can get no cross, no crown, missing cross of purity <laughs> by William Penn. He was uh, 1644 to 1718. He is the foundation of um, the the Amer. He was the foundation of America. Make this one big. Go ahead. Yeah, he Keep actually, um, and he's actually connected with George Whitfield as well. So all these people are connected. Okay, I want to make this just big so that you and I aren't even in the screen. Okay. So just give me one second here. Um, Leah, you can see how well-worn that paper is that you yeah, have there. Yeah, so when I like bring you, up, Because you've brought... So you've, this was... These are, have been so with you for a while. So I didn't buy No Cross, No Crown, like, as a book. I printed it out. And and the missing... And some fruits in, of solitude and reflections. And I'll tell you a little bit more about this when we when we come back from the video. Okay, here we go. Hang on. I'll make sure I've got the right thing. Almost there. Almost there. I think we got it. Almost. No, it hasn't switched yet. Running slow today. A little groggy. There we are. Boom. Born in London on October 14th, 1644 to a prosperous English family. Even from his grammar school days, young Willie took a great interest in religion, but couldn't really find anything that fit him. From grammar school, he went to Oxford and entered in Christ Church College at the age of 15. While at Oxford, he went to hear Thomas Lowe, a Quaker, who had been preaching about the Society of Friends, a new church with new ideas. This had a dramatic impact on William, who took great interest in the new ideas that the Society of Friends brought to the table. But William was still a nonconformist, and he resented the strict discipline that had been inflicted upon him at Oxford. Eventually, he was expelled for, quote, rejecting the surplice and rioting in the quadrangle. Whatever the surplice means. In fact, come to think of it, I don't even know what a quadrangle is. Math is hard. <laughs> anyway, William's father was furious at him and sent him off to France in the hopes of refining him. Well, apparently it worked. William ended up then in Ireland at his family estates. While at Cork, Ireland, William Penn met once again Thomas Lowe. It was during one of his sermons that a passage from Scripture really spoke out to William. There is a faith which overcomes the world, and there is a faith which is overcome by the world. This was what William had been waiting for, a faith in God that is immutable and concrete. It is said that at that moment, William Penn was officially a Quaker. Soon after, he became active in the Quaker movement and befriended the founder of the church, George Fox, and even went as far as springing him from jail several times. Now, the term Quaker was actually developed because of one of Fox's arrests. When he was in court defending himself on a blasphemy charge, he said everyone should, quote, tremble at the word of God. So the term Quaker was coined. Originally, it was used as an insult, but the Quakers adopted the term in a we-don't-really-care-what-you-think kind of way. 
All right. That was really good. Yeah, so that's just like a, a little taste of William Penn. And there's somebody who really breaks down history like nobody's business. Your friend and mine, William, William Federer. Federer. All right. So I want to bring up this article by uh, William Federer. William Penn's The Shaky Foundation, The Sandy Foundation Shaken and No Cross, No Crown. Christ's Cross is Christ's Way to Christ's Crown. After Columbus discovered the New World, Spain grew in uh, power to suppress Portugal as the largest global empire, giving rise to the saying, the sun never sets on the Spanish Empire. From Madrid, the Spanish Holy Roman Emperor Charles V ruled territories in Europe, North America, Central America, South America, Africa, Asia, the Pacific, and all the way to the Philippines. Catholic Spain was instrumental in beating back the backs of the Muslim Ottoman Turks from taking over Europe. Most notably at the Battle of Lepanto uh, on October 7th, 1571. Rather than following up on this astounding victory and uh, freeing the rest of the Mediterranean from the Ottoman control, Spain turned its attention to crushing the Protestant Reformation in Netherlands and England. Unfortunately for Spain, its famed Spanish Armada was destroyed in 1588 by the combined efforts of the British and Dutch navies aided by a hurricane. Spain's expensive military campaign loses everything eventually to national bankruptcy. In 1598, British merchant brothers... Oh, Anthony, wait, how many Bill Federers do you have up? I have several. Okay, I need the right one. Which okay, one is it? This Help is the one, the right on one on Sandy Foundation. There, I got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, Carry on. In 1598, British merchant brothers Anthony and Robert Shirley became the first Englishmen to reach Persia. As a result, Persian Shah Abbas I sought an alliance with uh, Britain against the Ottoman Empire. The Shirley's devised the Shah on upgrading the military tactics of his army, which was made mostly of captured Gula slaves, uh, soldiers from Armenia, Georgia, uh, and other Caucasians. Yeah, so white people were slaves. Uh, Robert Shirley married a Christianized uh, uh, Caucasian woman from the Shah's court and took the name Lady Teresa uh, Samsonia. She is considered by some the first Persian to travel to England. Shah Abbas sent Persia's first diplomatic mission to Europe in 1599, traveling through Moscow, Norway, Italy, where they met Clement VIII, the Pope who first tasted uh, the Ottoman Turkish drink coffee. This is Satan. This Satan's drink is so delicious that it would be a pity to let the infidels have exclusive use of it. We shall cheat Satan by baptizing it. Oh dear! The first coffee house was opened in Rome in 1645. Then coffee houses quickly spread across Europe. The Persian delegation of Abbas I made such a stir in Europe that Shakespeare made reference to it in his play The Twelfth Night in 1601 to 1602. One of the Persians, Ulak Beg, converted to Catholicism and took the name Don Juan of Persia, writing of his experience in a book published in 1604. The Persian delegation finally reached Spain in 1602 during the reign of Philip III and were willing to allow Christianity to be preached in Persia if Spain would join them against the Ottoman Empire. When Philip made too many stipulations, including that the Shah end relations with the British East Ending Company, the deal fell through. The English fought an Anglo-Saxon war from 1585 to 1604 with some 130,000 casualties, and one of the main conflicts being the Nine Years' War in Ireland. King Philip III landed 6,000 Spanish Catholic troops in Ireland to Irish, to, to, uh, with, Irish, to, with Irish Catholics to wage war on American England. England. England, England. Sorry. Uh, but the English defeated the combined Spanish and Irish armies at the Battle of Kinsdale in 1602. So you can see this, the history here. So in 1607, Virginia was settled by Angelicans. In 1620, we have our pilgrims. 1624, New Amsterdam was founded by the Dutch reformists. In 1633, Maryland was founded by English Catholics. In 1636, you got Rhode Island. 
um, founded by the Baptists. You can see um, Delaware was actually founded by Swedish Lutherans. That's what we are. <laughs> um, our grandfather came over from Sweden as a Lutheran minister. Uh, our great grandfather. Uh, Europe was engulfed in the bloody Thirty Years' War in 1618 to 1648. The Dutch were simultaneously engaged in an 80 Years' War of Independence from Spain, which was in a, a dynastic union with Portugal. England then had a civil war, the Anglicans and the Pur Puritans, in 1642 to 1646, which ended with the Puritan army led by Lord Protector who Oliver Cromwell, defeating the Royalist Anglican uh, army of King Charles I, Britt Baza can tell you all about that. Charles was beheaded in 1649. One of Cromwell's young soldiers was 16-year-old John Bunyan, who later wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Absolutely. Pause on Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. Because this is a plug that I will not get paid for, but you will if you read it. Pilgrim's Progress, at least at some point, I don't remember, it was probably 100 years ago. I don't know if, if it had, literally, there's no book in the world other than the Bible. the Bible that has sold as many copies as the Pilgrim's Progress. That may be surpassed now, but at least as of 100 years ago, that was true. Because John Bunyan uh, wrote this uh, allegorical story of what it is like to be a Christian. Yeah. And he has like, you're on the highway of holiness to the celestial city and you're making this journey. You get caught off on, on in towns like Vanity Fair that are really bad. You get in the pit of despond, you know, different things like that. And you watch Pilgrim go through this, this, this um, journey. And so I want to encourage all of you to find the i don't remember what it's called but it's the dramatized version of the pilgrim's progress it's an audiobook you need to listen to it it's very long i didn't realize until i was an adult that there's a sequel of Christiana. this where his wife you know he has to leave his, his wife and his sons behind and then they come later in this sequel so guys every single christian needs to have read this that this is my little plug for pilgrim's progress yeah so all these things tie together so john bunyan is there uh fighting in oliver cromwell's army okay being led by the holy spirit actually for christian liberty basically christian nationalism englishmen set up a covenantal form of government with no king called the commonwealth of england it was essentially england's version of the american republic a we the people type government but it lasted only uh, about 12 years for his military service cromwell uh, awarded admiral william penn the uh, macroon castle in ireland on land seized from the catholics after the failed rebellion in 1641 he later later moved to uh Shingari castle on october 14 1644 the same year pilgrim leader william Penn, uh, william brewster died isn't this so cool see how these things tie together uh admiral penn's son was born william penn also named william penn who was baptized <laughs> at the all house church in london this was the same year samuel rutherford published his famous treatise lex rex the law is king which argued that the law is superior to any king in 1656, Cromwell allowed Jews back in England, ending their exile by King Edward I in uh, 1290. Cromwell demoted Anglican ministers, including Reverend La uh, Lawrence Washington, the great-great-grandfather of George Washington. Lawrence's son, John Washington, became a merchant and sailed to Virginia in 1657. Though the English and Dutch navies had previously fought together against Spain and Portugal, they both grew into global economic and military powers, having colonies around the world. They competed over trade routes to the Far East Spice Islands. They, this erupted into the first of a series of Anglo-Dutch wars by um, 
1652 to 1654. Fighting uh, spanned the globe from the Far East to trading outposts in South America and New Amsterdam. Admiral Penn, William Penn's dad, helped the English Navy fight the Dutch. Cromwell then, then sent Admiral William Penn Sr. to the Caribbean, where he captured Jamaica from the Spanish in 1655. Accompanying Penn was pilgrim lead leader who? Edward Winslow, Winslow, who died on the expedition of Yellow Fever. Jamaica so far from England that British inhabitants of the island turned to privateers, pirates, and buccaneers for protection, resulting in the city of Port Royal, Jamaica, becoming known as the infamous Sodom of the New World, till it was destroyed by an earthquake tsunami by God Surprising. in 1692. Leah inserted that by God. Yeah. Uh, Penn turned to, returned to England, but the political climate had changed. He was suspected of corresponding with the exiled Car uh, Charles II and was arrested, being imprisoned in the Tower of London. Fortunately for him, he was soon released by uh, and knighted by Cromwell's son. It was during this time that the Penn estate in Ireland was visited by a Quaker missionary, and this is a story that we just heard about. This is the backstory. This is the basis of what we're of how we're going to get to William Penn, Thomas Lowe. Uh, who preached to his 15-year-old son. Lowe shared about the light of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that faith was more agreeing uh, with government doctrines. Young Penn later recalled that it was his, uh, during the first time, he said, the Lord visited me and gave me divine impressions of himself. Oliver Cromwell died in 1658. His son Richard wasn't able to hold the Commonwealth together, and many, including Admiral Penn, advocated for a return to monarchy. Admiral Penn sailed with the Earl of Sandwich to the Netherlands and brought Charles II back to England, where he was restored to his father's throne in 1660. This ended the Commonwealth of England. Uh, o uh, Guinness stated in an interview, Thinking in Public, um, the covenantal ideas in England were the lost cause, sadly. They failed. The king came back. But the lost cause became the winning cause in New England, and the covenant shaped constitutionalism. This is the basis of um, sound self-government. In appreciation for his loyalty, Charles II knighted Penn and gave him the rank of Lord High Admiral with the title Sir. In 1660, young William Penn entered Christchurch College, Oxford University. Students were either strict Puritans, non-conforming Quakers, or... At an aristocratic, uh, aristocratic Anglicans. Anglicans called Cal Cavaliers. Cavaliers. Young Penn was a Cavalier. I want to be a Cavalier. Like, <laughs> that, what a cool name is that? Yeah. So in 1661, Young Penn accompanied his father in the great honor of uh, attending the King's coronation ceremony in London. As a youth, Penn contracted smallpox and lost his hair, resulting in him adopting the habit of wearing a wig. Um... I can feel you, but my hair came back. So this kind of shows you that viruses can cause you to lose your hair, by the and way. And I've heard that. For those of you that are just, you know, maybe you don't know resistance chicks, we had COVID in 2021, and Leah lost 85% of her hair. I mean, look at this. It looks, okay. from the television, it looks really good. Thank you. On Oxford, Penn got in trouble for attending religious meetings at the home <clears> of Dr. <throat> Owen, the former Puritan head of Christ Church. Becoming increasingly vocal in his criticism of Anglican religious ceremonies and missing chapel leave uh, for his own service in his room, Penn was expelled from Oxford. This was a major embarrassment for his dad, who beat him and chased him out of the house. Oh, dear. In 1660, Charles II approved the Royal Society of London for improving natural knowledge, a meeting of the greatest scientific minds in England, and the motto was uh, nullius in verba, which in Latin is take nobody's word for it. Mm. In 1662, Admiral Penn sent his 18-year-old son out of England on a great Grand tour visiting the royal courts of Europe, being accompanied by the Earl of Crawford. He was received at court of the by the King of France, Louis 
the uh, was that the fourteenth, who was also a cousin of of England's Charles II. Penn studied for a year at the Protestant Huguenot Academy in Anjou, uh, spending time with the French Protestant theologian um, uh, Moses um, I think it's just, isn't it Moise? I think it's Moses, but I don't know. Who advocated tolerance towards others in the matters of faith. In 1664, um, Penn traveled again with Robert Spencer to Turin, Italy, where they visited Spencer's uncle, Algernon Sidney. Okay, you guys, we did a whole show <laughs> we on did. Algernon Sydney. We did. Okay, Christian nationalist Algernon Sydney. These guys are all connected. So William Penn, John Locke, Algernon Sydney. You guys, your 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 European British history. You guys have to know it because it's so it is so freedom. It's so patriotic. It's all about liberty. Okay, so go watch our show on Algernon Sydney, who was exiled for his views on political liberty. Uh, in August 1664, Penn returned to London and enrolled in law school at Lincoln's Inn on Chancery Lane, uh, intending to pursue a career in law and make his father proud. But God had other plans. All right, so what happens? In 1665, a second Anglo-Dutch war breaks out. This time, young Penn was sent to sea accompanying his uh, admiral father and Charles II's younger brother, James II. So Penn is around a lot of... Big, big high up dudes. Yeah, big people. The Duke of York, who was commander of the Royal Navy. Before the battle, Penn was sent as an emissary with dispatches for the king. He wrote with admiration of his father. I never knew what a father was till I had wisdom enough to prize him. Wow. I pray God that you come home secure. In 1664, James II, the Duke of York, captured New Amsterdam from the Dutch, renamed it New York. In 1663, Charles II had granted the Carolinas as private property to seven Lord Properteers, uh, with its constitution allegedly being written with the help of who? John, John Locke. Locke. In 1664, New Jersey was founded by Swedish Lutherans. During the Second Anglo-Dutch War, 1665 uh, to 1667, Sir Admiral William Penn again helped defeat the Dutch Navy. Though victorious, there was no celebration, as England was suffering from 1665 uh, Great Plague of London, which killed about 100,000 people, quarter of the city. It was that plague that made 24-year-old Isaac Newton leave Cambridge University for his uh, family's country estate. There he observed an apple fall to the ground and discovered the law of gravity. It was during this plaque, plague sorry, that young William Penn was impressed uh, with the way the Quakers, while caring for the sick, were derided by the Anglican churchmen and even falsely accused of spreading the plague. Penn observed the insensitive way People reacted to the suffering and dying during the epidemic. It gave me a deep sense of the vanity of this world, of the irreligiousness of the religions in it. Young Penn was sent to Ireland to manage his family's estate and began practicing law. When a Catholic Irish rebellion uh, began at um, Carrick Fergus, there that was so good. Penn became a soldier. He and his friend Lord Arran helped crush the resistance. Afterwards, he had his portrait painted wearing armor, which is very interesting because later on, he was. Asked by, um, I think it was one of the, was it this one or this one? He was asked to, to, to keep his sword for, for, to keep himself uh, safe. And he said he could no longer wear it because he became, he became, a, he became. Um, the Quakers were very much yeah. against, and you know, any kind of even self-defense, any kind of weaponry at all. Yeah, they was exactly. So so William Penn becomes a Quaker. 
Yeah. And then that's got to go. But it's an interesting kind of evolution of his life to yeah. watch things progress from, mm -hmm. you know, here I am fighting, here I am, you know, part of this, I've got my portrait and this armor, mm -hmm. and now I've got to lay down my sword in, right. the, in the fighting. But he did fight. That's the whole point. He exactly. was a fighter. Um, he was considered uh, following in his father's footsteps in a military career, but his father uh, dissuaded him. Meanwhile, the Great Fire of London consumed the central part of the city in 1666. When Penn arrived there, he was distressed by seeing the fire's utter destruction, and from learning of his father's terminal illness, he returned again to Ireland, to the family's uh, Shangari uh, castle. The Second Anglo-Dutch War ended in 1667 with the Treaty of Brenda. Brenda. In negotiating the treaty, the British offered to give back Manhattan Island, New York, to the Dutch in exchange for the tiny Indonesian spice island of Rune. But the Dutch refused, as they wanted to keep a not monopoly on the nutmeg trade. I don't want New York. I don't want Manhattan. I just want to keep the nutmeg. <laughs> like, that's how that story this goes. This is considered one of the worst negotiating mistakes in history, as New York <laughs> went on to become one of the richest cities in the world, while nutmeg plants were smuggled off the Dutch island of Run, uh, leaving it with little importance. That's Meanwhile, King Charles II restricted religious dissenters. His police arrested Quakers and other dissenters for breaking laws, such as the 1593 uh, act of uniformity, uniformity of public prayers reissued in 1662, which prohibited British subjects from making up their own prayers. This is huge. All approved prayers were written in the Book of the Common Prayer. People were instructed to open it to the right page and lead the appropriate prayers. In 1665, the Five Mile Act, which, pervade, which pervade, forbade non-conforming and dissenting clergymen from preaching or living within five miles of a town, unless they swore to never again to resist the government. Thousands of ministers courageously defiled, defied this act and were deprived of their livelihood. Wow. In 1664, the Covenantal Act, which made it a crime to attend unauthorized religious meetings. And we've talked about this because this whole, um, when it we're was, talking about Christian nationalism, we're talking about like this this really intense time in the 1600s. You guys think that um, we're not moving things? Yeah. We're not shaking things? Come on, we're shaking it. Okay. Because these movers and shakers in England in the 1600s led to America in the yeah. 1700s. Yeah. And I know that you might not like to hear this, but even in my prayers last night. Here it comes. I prayed and God gave me a kind of a, a grace to see that whatever I'm doing here is going to last beyond my lifetime. Eternity. Yeah. So it's not, when are these people going to go to jail? When are we going to see justice? You fight until your last breath, knowing that when you're a Christian, you live on. Well, uh, let's take a little detour, um, Leah. And I, and I know we've got a lot here to get to, but still, when we talk about... This is going to be a two-part series. It will be definitely <laughs> a two-part series. When you talk about having another generation, and, and I know we bring this up on our show a lot, but I, I just... It, it has to be hammered home. John Quincy Adams was known as the hellhound of abolition, and he fought and he fought and he fought against slavery. Okay, not only was he one of our presidents, but he actually returned back to Congress to serve Plymouth, the town of Plymouth, right? Um, and he did not see slavery abolished in his lifetime. He was censured. He went around the censorship. He saw the censorship revoked in his lifetime. Um, and he, so you know that, have you guys seen the movie Amistad? Right? He was a uh, part of that. And so when we, when we look at Lincoln. He it, was a lawyer who defended the 
slaves who overthrew their masters on the ship. When we look at Abraham Lincoln in the House of Representatives as a very young Abraham Lincoln looking at John Quincy Adams learning from the hellhound of abolition and then Abraham, Abraham Lincoln takes that torch down the next line. Guys, let's not be so caught up with ourselves as to not be thinking about the ramifications of what will happen if we do or don't do what we are called to do by God in our generation. It doesn't have to happen for us. It can happen in the next generation. I would say John Quincy hit his, his stride in the second half of his life because, and actually the last quarter of his life because he really didn't start to be the hellhound of abolition until um, the, the, the last quarter of his life. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it takes a little bit to pick up the steam. Right. So in this covenantal act, we talked about this with uh, other coven convent con conventicle act which made it a crime to attend unauthorized religious meetings like a convent i know it looks like covenantal it's a stupid word i think we've i think it was written in two different ways then because i've read it some other way okay it makes sense though you can't you can't have religious uh meetings that's kind of like a convent like a like a nun being in a well convent. it was on more than five well there's We've read different things. Some said two or three persons. This one says five persons. In addition to members of the family, for any religious pur purpose, uh, not according to the rules of the Church of England. So you couldn't meet together in this act. Uh, it was renamed in 1714 to the Riot Act, as the government considered um, those attending unauthorized prayer meetings as part of an insurrection. Um, I hope we didn't lose internet. My, my computer is. Uh, considering those attending uh, uh, as part of an insurrection, police would bust into a house, pull out all the paper and read the riot, riot act, pull out the paper and read the riot act, ordering everyone to immediately disperse or be arrested and imprisoned where they might die. It was so severe it became an expression, read them the riot act. That's really powerful. So to read somebody the riot act is to break up a Christian meeting. So yeah, don't let's not do that. So Scotland had many of these illegal meetings. Uh, the word uh, conventicle is derived from the word covenant. That's why I call it the covenantal mm -hmm. act. And referred to gatherings of church members according to Jesus' promise in uh, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. That's powerful. In the English Book of Canon Law, Article 11 declared all conventicles or covenantal and secret meetings have ever been justly accounted very hateful to the state. And we've talked about this before. No priest or ministers of the word of God nor any other person shall meet together in any private house or elsewhere under the pain of excommunications. Wow. Charles II issued the proclamation up for the suppression of the coffee houses in uh, 1675, whereas it is most apparent that the multitude of coffee houses of late years are set up and kept within this kingdom have produced very evil and dangerous effects. His majesty had thought it fit and necessary uh, that the said coffee houses be for the future put down and suppressed and does strictly charge and command all manner of persons that they do not keep any public coffee houses or sell or retail. This is hilarious. Any You couldn't sell coffee, chocolate, sherbet, or tea. Could you imagine that? <laughs> John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, was arrested in 1661 for violating the Act of Uniformity of Public Prayers and for having several unlawful meetings and the conventicles. conventicles to the great disturbance and distraction of the good subjects of the kingdom. Bunyan spent 12 years in prison. It had to take that long to pen that thing. I mean, it's so long. Yeah, exactly. Early Baptist dissenters John Smith, John Merton, and Thomas uh, Hewleys were dragged before the Star Chamber and imprisoned in the notorious in the notorious Newgate uh, Prison. Quakers were also targeted with penalties or of imprisonment or deportation. 
uh, back in Ireland in the age, at the age of, six, uh, age of 22, Penn began visiting a Quaker meeting in Cork, Ireland. By chance, he became reacquainted with Thomas Lowe. Uh, at one of the meetings, the police suddenly burst in and began arresting attendees. Instead of distancing himself from the Quakers, Penn surprised everyone by proclaiming he was one of them. He argued at court that Quakers had no political agenda, unlike the Puritans, and that they should not be subject to laws restricting religious meetings. His family name got, got him out of jail. Actually, he argued and he didn't want his dad to get him out of jail, but he did. <laughs> uh, but when his father heard of it, he immediately recalled young Penn to London as his actions jeopardized his father's position at the royal court. His admiral father warned him that he was on a dangerous collision course with the crown, but to no avail. Enraged, the admiral kicked his son out and threatened to disinherit him, but he could not bring himself to do it. With no place to go, Penn began living with these Quakers. He traveled with uh, Quaker Josiah Cole, uh, who had just returned to England from America. It was Cole who suggested the idea of Penn of setting up a utopian colony in America. Penn met George Fox, founder of Quakerism, and traveled with him. Uh, Fox emphasized the rights of individuals. In 1668, Penn wrote his first pamphlet, which harshly criticized Catholics, Angelicans, and other Protestant dissenters for their dependence on outward ceremonial observances and wrote memorization of confessions rather than expressing the seeking of God with your own heart. It was titled Truth Exalted in a short but sure testimony against all those religions, faiths, and worships that have been formed and followed in the heresy of apostasy. This is, this is so funny to me. Uh, Jack Posobiec is Catholic, and he posts things uh, very in favor of Catholicism and praying to Mary and stuff like that, but he loves Pennsylvania, and he lives in Pennsylvania, he talks about Pennsylvania all the time, and I'm like, well, while we're taking this pause, as you're reading this, what's coming to mind is uh, I, I want to kind of remind you guys of something that we take for granted. And, you know, as we talk about, I've run into so many people, Michelle, we are in the last days. This, we are headed into the apocalypse. I can tell because things are getting worse and worse and worse. And look around at how bad everything is. Mm -hmm. That's an ignorant stance. And I mean that in love. And I have very dear friends who I would say that you are ignorant, ignorant. of our history. Ignorant. That's Let it. me educate you. Mm -hmm. Okay. When Jesus came 2000 years ago, the, the world prior to Jesus's coming was a darkness that you cannot understand. That when the, when the veil was rent in two and the spirit of God was able to come, ha have the, uh, the opportunity to come on all men, the entire world started to change. And 12 disciples took the gospel and started spreading it. And, and I hate this comparison, but it's the best one that I have because I grew up watching Beauty and the Beast. And at the very end of the movie, when the curse is broken, then all of the gargoyles on the mansion turn into what they should have been. The dark clouds lift, the trees get their leaves, the whole thing turns bright and beautiful, right? That is what is currently happening and has been happening for 2000 years. That kind of light is being spread on the world. You can't imagine a world without Christ because you don't live in one. Okay. You can't imagine a life before the coming of the Messiah because you don't live in one you've never experienced. And it's not something that has been chronicled through history where someone could look at it from a bird's eye view. All we have are these historical stories to look back on. And I am here to tell you that what William Penn and so many of these amazing people 
went through, through the evolution of the church and the darkness of the devil trying to infiltrate the church, many antichrists over the years. It's been 2,000 years and we've had countless antichrists, right? And so I just want you guys to, um, to recognize that this darkness that we're talking about right here for William Penn has been overcome because of him, because of what he did, because of men like him, because of John Locke and Algernon Sidney and John Milton. These men helped to expand the kingdom of God and we live and get to appreciate a life that is so full of light and goodness that we can't understand that darkness. So when you talk about the world getting worse and worse and worse, it's so anti-biblical because the kingdom of God is spreading. The scripture that I want you to, to seat in yourself and never let go of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. There is no time. There's no interruption. There's no time where that starts to get smaller and the kingdom of the devil starts to expand. Right. That is not what happens. What you're seeing here is an evolution of Christianity expanding and expelling darkness. And that did happen within the church. And so as we're moving forward, I would highly encourage you to A, go and watch our Revelation Red Pill Academy, which is on resistancechicks.com and an actual playlist on brighteon.com uh, where our videos are there. You can find that from resistancechicks.com. But also to set aside the idea that we are living in some sort of last day end times where everything gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until some sort of rapture. This is false end times theology that we break down, but I just want you to notice the kingdom of God has expanded so brightly in 2000 yeah. years and in 500 years and 800 years when we're talking about these time frames. Yeah. All right. So um, with William Penn in 1668, he wrote his first pamphlet. Pamphlet, we talked about that, which criticized the Catholics and the Angelicans and other Protestants because they didn't have this true conversion in their heart. It was titled Truth Exalted in a short but sure testimony against all those religions, faiths, and worships that have been formed and followed in the darkness of apostasy and for that glorious light which is now risen and shines forth in the life of the doctrines of the despised Quakers as the alone good old way of salvation presented to princes, priests, and peoples that they may repent, believe, and obey by William Penn whom divine love constrains in a holy contempt to trample on Egypt's glory, not fearing the king's wrath, having held the majesty of him who is inv invisible. Penn debated fellow uh, Quaker George uh, Whitehead and dissenting uh, Presbyterian minister Thomas Vincent. Vincent accused Penn of heresy. Penn responded by writing the pamphlet, The Sandy Foundation Shaken. He was charged with printing his pamphlet without first obtaining a publishing license from the Bishop of London. He was arrested and at the urging of the Bishop of London, sent to the Tower of London without a trial. He asked for pen and paper, paper, which the guards gave him, thinking he was going to write an apology uh, and retract his uh, uh, beliefs on freedom of conscience. Instead, Penn wrote his famous work, No Cross, No, cross, no, no crown, crown, stating, Christ's cross is Christ's way to Christ's crown. The unmortified Christian and the heathen are of the same religion, and the deity they truly worship is the God of this world. It is a false notion that they may be children of God, while in a state of disobedience to his holy commandments and disciples of Jesus, though they revolt from his cross. A royal chaplain helped Penn petition for a meeting with the king, which was denied. Penn declared, My prison shall be my grave before I budge a jot, for I owe my conscience to no mortal man. He then wrote a uh, pamphlet titled The Innocency of Her Open Face, which influenced the king after eight months to have him released in July of 1669. So it worked. 
his pamphlet. He wrote yeah. it, and the king. Yeah, in September sixteen sixty nine, Penn began courting. Um, the stepdaughter of the uh, Buckinghamshire Quaker Isaac Pennington. Uh, I have no idea. I'm, I'm stumped on that one. marriage was to <laughs> Sir William Spriggett, who died in the English Civil War. Penn returned to his law practice in Ireland. There he wrote Letter of Love to the Young Convinced and the Great Cause of Liberty of Conscience. Penn successfully campaigned, and with the help of the influential Lord Aaron, for the freedom of hundreds of Quakers imprisoned in Ireland. In June of 1670, Penn returned to London. And it was very interesting because I told you that he actually was able to petition for John Locke. John Locke was actually sent away for his, uh, not necessarily religious tracts, but he wrote the treaties on government, uh, first and second treaties on government, and he was uh, the law of nature, nature's God. Uh, there's no king but Jesus. Um, his father told him, let this, let nothing in this world tempt you to wrong your conscience. William Penn, who later founded Pennsylvania, wrote, in England's present interest considered, 1675. So this is the, this was kind of the, the overview of where, um, it, that, that was kind of where his religious sentiments went. But there is so much more to William Penn and this American history that we have. And he actually was part of um, the founding of this nation, and he he has a he had a treaty with the Native Americans there in Pennsylvania, and he was known as one of the best friends of Native Americans. And I don't know how much time we left. We have in this 15 episode. Fifteen minutes. All right, so I'm going to go over here to um, fourteen. Where I'm going to go, <laughs> yeah. To, to um, which article am I going to go to next? I think I want to go to In Prison for Liberty of Conscience. Um, so how many of us would be willing to go to jail? I mean, legitimately go to jail for the gospel of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ, like William Penn, to to be set before. The, the, it was the king himself that released mm -hmm. him, by the way. Like yeah. you see that kind of connection that's, huge yeah. there we're talking about big deals big players big moments in history and and one decision to say kind of like martin luther i shall not recant i have to write i have to say what my conscience says about my relationship with god so when he was arrested uh with the other quakers in that trial at 25 years old Penn and Mead were arrested and held for weeks in prison and brought to trial what is known as the Bush Bushels case. Uh, the court recorded, Penn says, I desire you would let me know by what law it is you persecute, prosecute me and upon what, law you, uh, upon what law you ground my indictment. Justice Howell said, upon the common law. And Penn said, where is that common law? Justice Howe, you must not think that I am able to run up so many years and over so many adjudged cases, which we call common law, to answer your curiosity. You are a saucy fellow. Speak to the indictment, Penn said. This answer, I am sure, and very short of my question, is very short of my question. For if it be common, it should not be so hard to produce. The question is not whether I am guilty of this indictment, but whether the indictment Come be legal. Come on and preach. It is too general and imperfect an answer to say that it is the common law, unless we both knew where and what it is. And this is what I want to tell you about, like, the January 6th people being imprisoned, okay? You should have known that this area was off limits, and you should have known this, and you should have known this. If it be common law, produce it so that we can all know it, okay? For there is no law... 
for where there is no law, there is no transgression. And Come that on. law, which is not in being, is so far from being common that it is no law of all at all. Justice Howell said, sir, you are a troublesome fellow. And it is not for the honor of this court to suffer you to go on. Take him away. The judge ordered Penn bound and gagged. But as he was taken away, he shouted to the jury, you are Englishmen, mind your privilege. Give not away your right. Juror Edward Bushell responded, nor shall we ever do. <laughs> when the jury refused to convict William Penn, the judge ordered the entire jury thrown in jail. You shall go together and bring in another verdict or you shall starve. The judge telling the jury that they have to come up with a... That's not how juries work, by the way. Okay, there's actually a plaque at Old Bailey's Law Court, which reads, Near this site, William Penn and William Reed were tried in 1670 for the preaching to an all-lawful assembly in Grace Church Street. This tablet commemorates the courage and endurance of the jury, Thomas Vere, Edward Bushel, and ten others who refused to give a verdict, a verdict against them, although locked up without food for two nights and were fined for the final verdict of not guilty. The case of these jurymen was reviewed on a writ of habeas corpus and Chief Justice Vong delivered the opinion and the court was established the right of juries to give their verdict according to their convictions. That's how it's supposed to work. And so, guys, you want to be so close to God that even if you're thrown in jail, you you change the course I of love history this next because part. of it. No, that's so good. The jury then sued the judge and court officials at the King's Bench for false imprisonment. In their defense, court officials unbelievably cited the Spanish Inquisition as a precedent to justify their actions. After a year, though, the jury won their case, and this established the principle that no jury could be punished for their verdict and was reflected in America's Bill of Rights guaranteeing the right to a fair trial by a jury of one's peers. All right, so Penn's father, the admirable Sir William Penn, had offered to pay his son's fine to get him released, but Penn said, I entreat thee not to purchase my liberty. I would rather perish than release myself. The advantage of such freedom would fall very short of the trouble of accepting it. Penn also wrote, My prison shall be my grave before I will budge a jot, for I owe my conscience to no mortal man. Penn realized he was engaged in an act of civil disobedience for the sake of securing rights for the future generations of Englishmen. Exactly. That's what we all need to see. So Penn was uh, also locked up on a uh, notorious Newton Gate prison in 1670, where he wrote, By liberty of conscience, we understand not only a mere liberty of mind, but the exercise of ourselves in a visible way of worship, upon our believing it to be indispensably required at our hands, that if we neglect it for fear or favor of any mortal man, we sin and incur divine wrath. Nevertheless, the admiral paid his sons and Meade's fines, and they were released. The father uh, finally accepted his son's view, telling him, and we talked about this, let nothing in this world tempt you or wrong your conference, conscience. Uh, Penn's father not only, had, uh, not only helped the Earl of Sandwich restore Charles II to the throne in 1660, but he lent him 16,000 pounds sterling. He realized that after his death, there would be no one to intercede for his son. So he spent his final days petitioning the king and the king's younger brother, James, Duke of York, to be favorable to his son. At the end of his life, the admiral wrote, Son William, if you and your friends keep in your plain way of preaching and keep to your plain way of living, you will make an end of the intolerant priests to the end of the world. Wow. Bury me by my mother. Live in all in love. And so while his father had some differences with his son he he could see that he was doing the right thing yeah. and he was kind of coming out of that yeah. imperialist mindset so on september 16 1670 admiral william penn died at his residence in wainstead essex england his son inherited an annual income from his state of 1500 uh, pounds sterling 
Another dissenter in London's Newgate prison who defied government mandates restricting churches was an early Baptist leader, Thomas uh, Hulies, who had written in 1612, The king is a mortal man and not God. Therefore, he has no power over the mortal soul of his subjects to make laws and ordinances for them to set spiritual lords over them. Thomas Hooley died in Newgate Prison in 1616, but not before writing a short declaration of the mystery of iniquity. If the king's people be obedient and true subjects, obeying all humane laws made by the king, our lord at the king can require, require no more. For men's religion to God is betwixt God and themselves. The king shall not answer it, neither may the king judge between man and God. A later Baptist minister, John Leland, who helped found Baptist churches in America, wrote in the Rights of Conscience uh, Inalienable in 1791, Every man must give account to himself to God, and therefore every man ought to have be at liberty to serve God in a way that he must best reconcile to his conscience. If government can answer for individuals at the day of judgment, let men be controlled by it in religious matters, otherwise let men be free. So Penn was arrested again on February 5th, 1671, for speaking at a Quaker, Quaker meeting, meeting with Thomas uh, Rudyard. When brought to the court, Penn refused to take the oath as it was against Quaker doctrine. He was immediately imprisoned in Newgate Prison for eight months, this time without a jury trial. Upon his release, and we talked about that, um, let's see, he met with founder uh, George Fox, who was preparing to sail for America. And then he got married. Um, they had eight children. Only three uh, survived to adulthood. Penn ministered at Quaker meetings in Kent, Sussex, Surrey, and Bristol, where he welcomed George Fox back from America. Um, at a meeting in London attended by 6,000 people. Could you imagine 6,000 people? Penn, together with George Whitehead uh, and others, uh, talked about their theological views. In 1673, Penn obtained from George Lord Baltimore, the Catholic founder of the Colony of Maryland, an agreement to allow some freedom of conscience, excusing Quakers in his colony from requiring to take oaths. Charles II attempted to issue a royal declaration of indulgence, suspending persecution of nonconformist Protestants and Catholics, but England's keeper of the Great Seal refused to apply the seal. Parliament not only rebuffed the king's intolerant declaration, but passed an even more intolerant test act in 1673. Jews were unsure of their future, so Rabbi Jacob uh, Sesportas met with Charles II to assure them of protection. During the new wave of persecution, George Fox was jailed, and William Penn was imprisoned three times between 1673 and 1678. Penn met with James, Duke of York, who, being Catholic, took up against the cause against religion took up the cause against religious intolerance. So here you have a Quaker working with a Catholic, even though they don't have theological views, but they both are tired of being persecuted. Right. So George Fox was finally released. Penn accompanied Fox on a trip to Holland and Germany. These guys really get around. They did, didn't they? You know, I mean, I, this is literally I like leave Ohio 50 years with after a car. the pilgrims just struggled on a boat to get here. I know. I and know. these guys go gallivanting across the world. I've only been overseas one time. Well, he was, I don't know if Holland German's overseas, but yeah. What, wasn't he England. here in, Not he America. hadn't made it to America yet? Yeah. No. Okay, all right. He was, he had welcomed George Fox back from America. Okay. But then George Fox goes. So yeah. George Fox comes back, goes That's to America. That's what I'm saying. Comes All back these guys are getting George around. Fox is getting around. Yes, definitely. Traveling with Quakers, George Keith, uh, Robert Barkley, and George Watts, uh, John Furley, and William Talcote. Uh, they were received by Princess Elizabeth, Elizabeth Palatine uh, of the Rhine, who was Charles II's first cousin. They spent time at Chrisham, Germany, where they attended a Quaker meeting and preached throughout the Rhinelands. Penn returned to England to live and lived in... Wormingurst, attending Quaker meetings in the nearby towns of Coolham and Hosham. Uh, 
Quakers were political outsiders. The Royalist Tory party, supporters of the king, persecuted Quakers, considering them Whigs, the opposition party to the king. The Protestants within the Whig party persecuted them for being Quakers. Penn favored Whig candidate Algernon Sidney, who had returned from exile and stood for freedom of conscience. As thousands of Quakers have been imprisoned, with some 300 dying, Penn went before Parliament in March of 1678 uh, to plead for legislative relief, for the government to cease persecuting them, denying them their freedom of conscience. Unfortunately, Parliament was dissolved before doing anything. Penn wrote, England's present interest considered, 1675, arguing that religious intolerance followed fundamental English law and would lead to prosperity. Force makes hi hypocrites, tis persuasion only that makes converts. And so we only have a few minutes left on this particular episode, but I look forward to coming back next week to talking about how William Penn, how this guy, this is, we laid the foundation, we laid the, the, the liberty of conscience foundation here, why he would even ever go to America. Um, and why it was so important that Pennsylvania became the only and, and for, well, the first only, um, colony in America that said, you can come here, whether you're Catholic or Quaker or whoever you are, this colony, all, all the other previous colonies were actually based upon denominations. You had Baptists, you had Congregationalists, you had Angel and, and, and Anglicans, and each state had to be a denomination. But William Penn's Pennsylvania became, was a religious freedom, toleration. He paid the Native Americans for the land. He didn't just go and take it. And we want to go into that next phase of William Penn's life, and we'll do that next week. And what I love about, you know, this again, as we're seeing America develop, you're looking at these little colonies and it makes sense to me actually that each colony would have kind of its own religion because you're living and working and moving and breathing with mm -hmm. these people. It's kind of like just being your own church and mm -hmm. that's where we've gone away from. And I'm not saying that we should be, everybody should be their one denomination in the city or anything like that. I think that we should be like the city of brotherly love. Well, Philadelphia but was called the, the, the city of the the they made philadelphia the seat of the of, of pennsylvania yeah called the city brother love and it was called the holy experiment uh from psalm 133 1 behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity exactly and so what i was getting at is we've gotten away from living in community with people yeah like the amish do or the old order mennonite do and i yeah. i truly believe that that's the way that god intends us to live. Yeah. Um, so William Penn, when he wrote the Charter of Privileges in Pennsylvania in 1701, because no people can be truly happy, though under the greatest enjoyments of civil liberty, if a bridge of the freedom of their conscience as to the religious profession of worship. So good. All right. I'm so glad that you guys have tuned in with us. Remember, we do this sh program for Brideon every Sunday at 5 p.m. to kind of spread our history and bring knowledge. So not just the news, because how do we tackle the problems of today? without going back. Those that do not know our past are doomed to repeat it. But also, if mm. you don't know the heroes of our past, then you can't use them to spur yourself forward and be encouraged that we can win if we do not give up. So that's what this uh, Christian nationalism series is about. And I hope that you guys are enjoying it because we're going to keep bringing it to you every week. We love you guys. God loves you. God bless. Remember, it's not just a conspiracy theory if it's actually the and truth. And remember, you can still use promo code RC at MyPillow. <laughs> <laughs> get the discount and we have a PO box if you guys ever want to send us your letters it's PO box uh, 107 
Milford, Ohio, 45150. We love hearing from you. And uh, we do want to read some letters this week. So and also, I want you to visit the Brighteon store, brighteonstore.com, and use promo code CHICKS over there. You'll save 5% on your order. We need to be supporting Patriot businesses through the holidays and throughout the entire year. This is how we are going to take our country back. And it starts with where we support. And you can get the Founders Bible and get all these great uh, sh- uh, stories if you use resistance chicks you can save 20 thefoundersbible.com we love you guys god bless we'll see you next week i was called